Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. Einstein. Hi, it's Abby. And again, there's no Frida. But don't worry, she does still exist within this podcast realm. Welcome to Science at the Movies with a twist. We are still on a break at the moment, so we are bringing you a little bit of extra content. We're doing a little revisit to some of our little baby podcasting episode days. We're back to episode two, Spectral. And because I was probably not the best descriptor of what was going on in Spectral back in those days, we've got someone who could actually maybe give it a little bit more detail. So please join me in welcoming David Garrick. Hi, David. Hiya. Soon to be Dr. David Garrick. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> we see. <laughs> don't, don't, shh, everything's fine, everything's fine. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's these like final final year COVID PhDs. That's what mm. that's what's happening in these worlds yeah, now. Yeah, a little bit stressful. We'll see. <laughs> okay, well, we'll start with a little bit of an introduction. So I know who you are. Uh, would you like to please introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name's David Gack. I'm uh, in the third year of my PhD in uh, Professor Chris Foote's group in Oxford, um, and we study ultra-cold atoms or quantum gases or whatever your preferred name for them is, uh, cold things basically. Um, and I'm an experimental physicist, so we have a lab and we make these clouds of atoms very cold in the lab and we do experiments on them to study fundamental kind of quantum physics basically. That's the short description. That's such a better description than I ever give. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I say that because I know David Garrick because we are in the same group. Yeah. So <laughs> that's what I mean when I say that. Uh, we are talking movie Spectral today. Now, when yes. I I just said to David that when we did the Spectral episode last year, I had not started my PhD yet and I tried to explain what was happening in this movie. And then I started my PhD in this ultra-cold quantum matter group. <laughs> And walked in the door and probably one of the first things I said to David was, have you seen Spectral? (laughs) (laughs) They talk about post-Einstein condensate. (laughs) And unfortunately, the guys in the group do not seem to be big into the movies. I'm a a long-form television man myself. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, we have had a super nerd chat about Doctor Who before, so it's cool. Yes, yeah. (laughs) But I then contacted you about doing this... (laughs) little extra thing and made you watch the movie (laughs) so you have now watched it it was entirely voluntary there was there was (laughs) no coercion involved yeah absolutely and you finished it in one sitting yeah no (laughs) (laughs) it was uh two or three uh two or three sittings not because of the quality of the film just because i had other stuff to be doing you know sure sure Um, sure (laughs) i got through it Okay. Well, as you got through it, how about telling me what you thought of it? So I, I, it was, it was, it was okay. Um, there were there were aspects of it that were questionable, and there were bits of it that I kind of wish it had gone into more detail on. Um, that said, the, I mean, actually, you know, the for production quality visual effects, sound effects, yeah. the kind of action sequences, actually not bad. 
not bad. Um, yeah, oh, I enjoyed it cool, like as an action. Cool shots in there, yeah. Yeah. Um, Science-wise, a lower <laughs> score, but action-wise, <laughs> yeah. it's okay. It's kind of sci-fi, Black Hawk Down kind of vibes. Yeah. Um, did you did you get the feeling from it at the start where it was gonna go, or did you have like did you start? Well, I mean, I told you where it was gonna go, so I'm yeah. sorry. I said, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> now, I I I think I thought when it when it starts out, it starts out this kind of cool sci-fi mystery kind of mm. story is what it seems like it's going to be which it sort of is um i think i underestimated about ha- less than halfway through it turns into mostly an action film yeah and uh, i didn't anticipate that so much because at the beginning it seemed like it's mostly fo- focused on kind of science yeah um they lulled us into a false one yeah i did actually prefer <laughs> the first kind of third of the film when it was that and yeah. Um, not that action stuff isn't good, but it's mostly not my jam. Um, so yeah, it turned out to be a little bit, a little bit unexpected. Um, right. But I did, I did know the the reveal, the twist, <laughs> if it can be called that. Um, <laughs> that big moment. We'll yeah. get to that moment in just a minute. So just before we get to the moment, let's talk about the actual. Um, let's talk about the scientists and how you felt about the. Uh, James Badge Dale and his um, engineering Superman from DARPA, who seems to apparently be able to do every single form of science. Everything, under yes. The sun. I, I did notice at one point his group seems to be responsible for uh, for for lasers, but also these hyperspectral goggles, but also uh, armored vehicles, which seem yep. like pretty diverse skill sets. Um, also Kevlar vests. I, one group is definitely not doing all of these things. DARPA's not just like one smart guy who's making all the technology for the US military. But that's what this film makes it sound like. I do enjoy how you're even giving it the credit of one group and it's like there's a guy yeah, there's it, another I mean, guy at the start, but like Exactly. I say group because they do say Dr. Klein's team, but ah. all of his team that we see is Klein, one other guy. <laughs> who could be uh, like a technician for all we know, and it, what seems to be the PI, like his kind of the head of the group, um, who who is played by an actor who is reasonably famous, but I forget his name. You know, he's in Get Out, he's in other things. He's oh, actually it's all right. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea. Yeah, I, I skimmed those parts. Yeah. Um, so did you? Yeah. So obviously he's a bit like OTT on the. Yeah the skill set level that he has going on but you know did you did you like uh, my favorite thing because before we talk about the actual science of what we're going into it and we've got two different things to kind of chat about within Mm. that but just like his kind of action within like this i think something that frida loved was the those montages you know oh it's the moments where he's he He's showing he's, his worth of like where just he's how where he's much. MacGyvering military grade technology out of scrap in a in a factory or something. Yes, yeah. um, as if as if I mean, frankly, if he could do if he could do that with only the scrap in the factory, I'm not sure why he hasn't made more impressive stuff when he has access to his actual lab. Um, <laughs> what you're not impressed by the hyperspectral goggles? The hyperspectral yes, the hyperspectral <laughs> goggles, which are never remotely explained. It, it, they, <laughs> There's no description of how these things work. 
or what even really they do other than that they let you see some things well i, I mean we'll get to that talking about the yeah. scientist he um he again i kind of started out kind of liking him um i mean he starts out at the very beginning of the film he he goes to like a junkyard to yes. find a part to use in his laser thing and that's a little extreme but it's also not you know totally unrealistic a junkyard is unrealistic but yeah kind of doing like homemade versions of stuff in the lab to save money actually is totally a thing that that we do um you know we have we have i've seen it yeah exactly we have these uh these optical shutters that are made from uh hard disk um uh kind of like actuators i suppose might be the word Mm. um which is not is not our idea i mean it was now it's a reasonably like common thing i think that probably most groups know how to do yeah um but it's just because they're much cheaper actual shutters will set you back like a thousand pounds basically yeah um but if you don't need a good one if you don't need a a really really fast it's because they you know they can close and open in like 10 milliseconds or something Mm -hmm. but if you just need something that will block light when you tell it to you want something cheap so you know we, we just like home make them yeah and that's that's not super uncommon um actually because groups have limited money generally although not so much darpa i think darpa probably right. has all the money at once so he's he's taking it a bit far um but it's, it's, a, a, you know, it's a weird kind of mix isn't it of like we want to show the kind of that that rugged yeah. like handyman gets gets down in the dirt scrapyard put things together yeah, exactly. but then also like yeah it's darpa so you can have anything you want <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> so a long bit, as it's a weapon it's a, yes and that was actually the other thing he, he seemed very weirdly naive about the fact that he was working for DARPA. He makes a laser <laughs> that can boil an ice cube, like, you know, like a 30 kilo ice cube in like half a second. And someone says, oh, what would happen if we put this into a human? And he goes, what? No, that's that's not what it was meant for. I never envisioned the military using it for such a thing. <laughs> Yeah, they haven't been trying to develop a laser as a weapon since yeah, the 60s. Exactly. He's, he's oddly naive about it. I'm not sure what he expected to happen when he builds a laser for the military, that they're going to use yeah. it for military applications. Um, but on the other hand, you know, like scientists being pacifists and kind of anti-military and, and you know, anti-corporate to an extent, that's kind of realistic as well. I think a lot of scientists do feel like that. They tend to to yeah. feel like science is for science's sake, or or even if they're on the applied side, it's because they want to improve the quality of life of humanity or something. Most scientists I know are not particularly big on on weapons or military, but yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of the things I I liked about the film, or nearly liked about the film, was that it it brings up this kind of ethical um, or slightly philosophical side of science occasionally about okay. about you know um, not very much but it yeah. sort of it sort of tries <laughs> to a little bit yeah um, and <laughs> so so he's yeah the, the lead and then again later on he becomes a bit of a bland um, just engineer god who just yeah. starts just starts making impossible <laughs> things um, Tony Stark but just not as cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, yes. Um, so. Okay, well, that's... Yeah, yeah, and he's the only one in it, really, because like, there's no one else. There's the guy that, that appears at the start that it's almost like as if to just give him someone to talk to yeah, and he's, to, he's no really. to do a little experiment so we know he's a science dude. 
just before um, he yeah. goes out <laughs> goes out to the field and suddenly becomes an engineer. Yes, and in is oddly combat. cool in the face of of death and trauma. He yeah. seems less phased than the military themselves, which is <laughs> odd. But yes. Um, yes, we had that exact argument when we were actually <laughs> when we when we talked about it in our episode because it was this whole thing of like how is he so fine with all of this like and, totally and the military are made yeah. to seem like they can't cope with it it's like they're the yeah. ones who are supposed to be trained what is happening um, but yeah. what yeah. is happening David is science is happening apparently <laughs> <laughs> or a rough uh, approximation of it feel like yeah so let's 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 <laughs> <laughs> do you want to start with the with the opening because there is that opening scene in the lab which is so vitally important to <laughs> our understanding of science yes, and yeah. then we have the reveal and the and the explanation yeah. kind of thing so so let's start in the lab how do you where so, what, so what are the, your so comments the, and thoughts so they start to set the scene they they, they, they you know, Klein went to a junkyard to get some chemical to use in a laser of some kind. And this laser is, they, they take out a big ice block, which looks like it's kind of 30 centimeter cube or something. Um, and they shoot the laser at it and it melts. And this is simultaneously a weird thing to get really excited about because a laser melting ice is not a weird concept. Um, <laughs> but also manages to be probably impossible because that's, uh, I mean, it depends how this thing is meant to work, right? Um, yeah. Presumably this is more special than just the laser heating up the ice. But even so, I think I worked out to, to melt an ice block by, by any means um, of that size. You have to put in a lot of energy because water has a very high heat capacity. Um, and so... Uh, I think I worked out that this had to be something like a megajoule laser oh. to melt it. And, and it does this in like half a second. Um, and that's a really powerful laser. I mean, it's not it's not impossibly powerful, um, but it is the, it's like a like a laser fusion kind of laser. Like it's it's very big. Um, Unlikely and, uh, to be on the tabletop with some guys in suits standing around and everyone just watching. And this is the other thing, is yeah. that there's just there's a whole suite of safety violations. <laughs> I mean, it's just dreadful. Uh, there's there's no way that they, they could do that without getting shut down. I mean, they have none of them are wearing goggles. None of them are wearing yeah. gloves. And their optics are just, you know, just there. Also, their optics are on motorised uh, translation mounts, which is hugely unnecessary. Why? What, what, why why, <laughs> does, why cool. do they have to move around at all? <laughs> Um, they do exist, but they're, they're just, they're quite expensive and kind of not as, I don't know, kind of not as useful as they sound, in my mm. opinion. Um, but um, yeah, and, and, and so they have, they have this, again, incredibly powerful laser just propagating through free space. It should be enclosed, definitely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it propagates through free space. Also, you can see it in the air. That doesn't sound right. I mean, it, you know, I, I, don't, I don't actually know what laser is that powerful look like it's possible they're so powerful they do actually scatter off the air but i, I don't really know um, but generally lasers even powerful lasers you can't see the beam traveling through the air mm. because there's nothing for it to bounce off of um and uh there's nothing to stop you like sticking your hand in there and again this is a laser that's designed a flash boil water you'd think <laughs> that they'd have some way of preventing you from accidentally falling into the path of that beam but no 
<laughs> and then not only all of this, but they bring in a bunch of non-scientist investors to stand within like a meter of this laser with again no no guarding no nothing to prevent them from getting in the way of it or it hitting their eyes um there's more (laughs) (laughs) they're not underground they appear to be in a room like off like you know on some high up floor and the lab is completely windows there's no actual walls so that laser beam is just going to go straight out the window and hit something else in the air, you know, flash fry a bird or something, if you get lucky, or a plane or some other building. And some of that light is going to reflect off the window as well, just into the room and just hit somebody or something. It's it's just insanely dangerous. It's, it's, it's an utter shambles. Um, oh, that is the This is all I could think when I was watching this That is this wonderful. Scene. I love uh, that so much. Yeah, and, there's a, and they have a. I didn't even think about the window. It's like my brain. Yeah, I think it's my crazy. brain was just so like, what is happening in the whole movie? That, <laughs> yeah. like, I couldn't even go like with with the even just the setup was just like with, definitely there was the whole like where's the PPE? Where's the shielding? Yeah. Why, why is no one wearing goggles? What is happening? Horrible. Horribly dangerous. But that is a much much more detailed and better <laughs> explanation of. All of the violations. <laughs> yeah, really bad. Um, there's a few other th- weird things, less less egregious, but a couple of weird things. Uh, they have mm-hmm. a strange mixture of really expensive kit, like I see these motorized translation mounts. Um, but also, then then they have like a, a scope, like an oscilloscope, <laughs> which is this really old, like 1970s, um, you know, oscilloscope uh, with the kind of flashing flashing light that moves across the. There's no way DARPA's using those. Um, it's also not connected to anything that I can see. It has no signal going into it. Um, so, the lab scene is a mess, basically. Oh God, it's it. a mess. Um, I mean, so to be fair, I, I'm not a person... I don't think that science and films has to be exactly true to life because yeah. films aren't real life. They're films, and that's, that's true of science. It's also true of anything else. Um, but I do think that th- there is a limit and uh and i i don't know if i would say you have a a duty to try and represent it accurately but i think if you if you pick a genre such as sci-fi i think you do make a certain promise that you will attempt to recreate that as consistently or faithfully Mm. as you can um there's a difference and you can tell the difference i think i said this in the last conversation i had with esky um where you can tell the difference between a movie that has brought in a science consultant or who has made some attempt mm. to understand how to implement it versus a movie where they've just gone, hey, I read this thing once <laughs> and now I'm going to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I really do think that this is what uh, what this movie did. So let's move on from the lab scene and then we go out into the field and what's going on is he's got these, he's designed these hyperspectral cameras. How how are we feeling? How are we feeling about the field? And is there anything that's that's going on in the field before he actually gives the big science explanation? Um, that that is a highlight for you because I've got one thing that I just really need to ask you about. Um, I I don't know about that. There's there's, um, in terms of the science, there were a couple of things that I quite liked from him actually. There was there oh, was yeah. a moment when um when Klein meets uh the general and the CIA operative. And the CIA operative says, 
oh, we think it's uh, we think it's weapons research or something. Mm. And one of the technicians thought it was a glitch. And Klein says, um, look, you just don't have that much data. The technician's trained to look for errors, so he, he sees a glitch. He says to the CIA operative, you're trained to look for enemies, and therefore you see enemies, um, but you know you're all you're all biased basically right um and i don't know i I honestly quite like that that's a nice it's quite a nice concise way of saying that you tend to see what you're looking for i kind of wish he'd acknowledged that he himself would also be biased right because scientists are still human and at at the very least scientists are hoping to see a result right something interesting science at the very least um and that tends to lead you to you know see trends in data that aren't you know strictly speaking there or 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 something like that yeah but the the basic point of that you know he said we we just don't have the data it's inconclusive i thought that was the most scientifically realistic thing that happened in the entire film not (laughs) enough data inconclusive (laughs) solid science yeah i thought (laughs) well there we go it's got a it's got a brownie point the the biggest moment really was uh he gets his big hyperspectral camera and he decides, well, we can only see them through the screen on the camera. So what if I could make it that if I shine the light from a cam, if I shine light on it, that everyone can see them. Mm. So he decided that how he would do that was he got his big hyperspectral camera and he reversed the polarity. Reversed <laughs> the polarity, yes. <laughs> I do think please? that was funny. <laughs> do, you, do you have any... <laughs> I remember watching this and I was like, I have to message someone and ask them. Is this a thing? Can you do this? Like, It just doesn't. That's not how cameras work. I mean, so what I like trying to do sometimes in science films is try to think of a way to give the film enough benefit of the doubt that it could be accurate. If you know what I mean? Maybe they meant this thing. And then that's at least semi close to real. Um, (laughs) This I think we can do this in this case. Um, reversing the polarity is 99% of the time meaningless drivel. In the context of electronics, it could mean something. It just means changing the direction that the current goes in. Right. Um, that's pretty unlikely to you know magically turn a camera into a searchlight because that's not how cameras work. <laughs> um, but again, admittedly, they've never explained to us what the hyperspectral camera does exactly um and so it is sort of plausible that yeah this hyperspectral camera could in fact be um shooting some kind of radiation out um and then reading something that happens from that this is like you're being very uh, generous (laughs) that's what i'm trying to do yes Yes, you are you're trying and i appreciate it but you know it's it's also like yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. It, it's but it's fair it's a fair nonsense, point that yeah. we can say we don't know what the hyperspectral camera is so who's to know exactly. what reversing the polarity could work will do? in any way at all yes <laughs> um it's probably nonsense i'll be honest yeah <laughs> okay well we come through this point and then we come through to the main moment of the movie which is basically this movie was my entire inspiration for science at the movies podcast because <laughs> i watched this movie And he had the moment of explanation and I was like, oh, here comes the science bit. Every time where they try to do that, there's a moment where they have to have like light bulb explain the science to you. And sometimes (laughs) it works out and sometimes it's like, 
what happened here. So, yes. Joanna, would you like to explain what happened? This, uh, oh, <laughs> I, I would if I could, frankly. Okay. <laughs> I think the thing, one of the things that disappointed me about this moment is normally, at least, these Eureka moments are triggered by a seemingly irrelevant comment, right? Mm. It, you know, that's a standard trope of any kind of mystery procedural. Someone says on CSR Miami, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and yeah. you know, the lead guy in CSI goes, oh, that's it. And whatever, you know, yeah. if, if it's on house, it's on everything. everything. This film doesn't murders, even... That's the best. Yeah, it doesn't even do that. There isn't even a seemingly irrelevant comment. Klein is just sitting by himself, having a think. Yeah. And, and he goes, ah, oh, I've got it. That was it. Yeah. He <laughs> just, just worked it out. Which I suppose might be more realistic to actual science, but is less dramatic. Yeah. Um, the, the actual explanation then is is a, a just total gibberish. <laughs> I, I honestly, I did write some notes down and frankly, my notes are almost gibberish um, because it, it just made no sense. Um, he says, you know, oh, these things can't pass through ceramic. That means it's man-made. <laughs> what? <laughs> Those things don't connect. Um, he says uh, states of matter aren't... Uh, he says states of matter, you know, liquid, solid, gas are natural and other states are unnatural. That also is is a weird terminology. I think, you know, I suppose you can make a case some, some states occur naturally and other states, it's hard to imagine them occurring naturally. That's right. kind of That's kind of fair enough. There are states of matter that it's hard to imagine just happening out in the universe somewhere. Um, but you wouldn't say that that makes them natural or unnatural. If, yeah. if they can happen, then nature permits it and it's natural. Um, so this was a weird a weird terminology <laughs> that threw me off. Um, and then, so not only is the actual kind of internal logic just a mess, uh, but the science is, is nonsense, obviously. Um, so, really? So the, 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 yeah, is that real? It's not for the, true? <laughs> so the the big reveal i don't know if, if we if we'll move on to talking about this now yeah do. um yeah is that uh that these these ghostly apparitions that kill people are bose einstein condensates there's so many things wrong with this that i'm not <laughs> even really sure where to start um admittedly later in the film they fix some of them kind of by substituting in new questions um but they're 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 shaped like humans because they were uh scanned from human bodies and on a molecular level by, on a molecular level of course is there any other way <laughs> and, <laughs> Not in uh, science fiction. and they're kind of remotely controlled by brains in tanks or something um but even even with that the the, the bose-einstein condensate stuff is nonsense um, you know, the, the clues that lead him to this, that they can't pass through ceramic, that they're hurt by iron. Mm. N- neither of those things are just in, in any way relevant. That's completely fabricated. <laughs> um, he says um, uh, that both Einstein kind of states are, are cold enough to kill you. This is also not really true. Or I suppose it's true that they're cold, but not that they would kill you. Um Bose-Einstein condensates, I suppose I, I can give now a quick explanation of what a Bose-Einstein condensate actually is. Um, it's, imagine taking a cloud of atoms, any atoms that you like really, 
Um, well, actually, not any atoms that you like. Certain mm. kinds of atoms. And um, lion. <laughs> yeah. And you generally the way you make them experimentally is to cool them down a lot. So in our lab, we get them down to about 50 nanokelvin, which is 50 billionths of a degree above absolute zero. So these things are kind of the, are nearly as cold as it's possible for anything to be. Certainly colder than anything that naturally occurs, cold, much colder than space, for example, um, or anything in space. And when you get them this cold, uh, they become very, very dense. So they, they start to, your atoms are very, very close together. And when they get very, very close together, the quantum nature of those atoms becomes relevant. So in quantum mechanics, your, your atoms are not just particles, but are some mixture of a particle and a wave. Um, this kind of wave-particle duality is a common theme that pops up in, in, in kind of pop science. And we don't tend to use those words, but it's basically true. Um, the atoms have a, a, a described by a wave function, which is kind of wave. And if your atoms get really, really close together and uh, and are very, very cold, then these wave functions kind of overlap and then quantum effects kind of become relevant at that point. And all of your all of your atoms start to behave as if they have kind of one wave function, as if as if they were all being, as if they were all copies of one atom almost. Um, so this that's a, a, that's called a Bose-Einstein condensate. Um, there it is. It was, yeah, um, and he's he does mention that it was <laughs> predicted by uh, by Bose and Einstein, hence the name. He gets that right. It's about <laughs> the only thing he gets right. Oh my um, god. <laughs> so they are very very cold, but also saying that if you touched one, it would uh, kill you. This isn't really. This doesn't really make any sense, to be honest. Um, for one thing, they they have to be made in a vacuum. They they, mm. they can't exist outside of a vacuum because the environment would immediately destroy them. They're very fragile states because they're so cold. If if you had a cloud of 50 nanokelvin in the air, which is room temperature, or or even not room temperature, even if it were the temperature of space, which is uh, two degrees kelvin or something, right? Um, then that that heat would they'd immediately you know suck up a bunch of heat from their surroundings and they you'd lose the state they'd then just be normal atoms yeah um so you you can't touch them because <clears throat> if if you touched it they'd just if you could somehow Poof. move through your chamber and touch them yeah. they'd just immediately absorb all the heat and they'd just disappear um and because you can't even though they're very cold and they would suck heat from you. Um, we're talking like a million atoms. If you're extremely generous, I think the biggest BECs that have ever been made are a billion atoms. That right. might be hydrogen, I think, is 10 to the 9 or 10 to the 10, possibly, atoms around that size. Um, and that's just not very many atoms. It might sound like it, but it's, it's really almost nothing. The amount What's... of energy that they would take from you in heating up would be minuscule. You, you wouldn't right. even be able to feel it. So, if you could if you could visualize a billion atoms as an object, yeah. what would it be? Roughly, uh, it, w it would be microscopic, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, so, a, a sort of relevant number of atoms. Um, I'm trying to remember my kind of chemistry, <laughs> but you know, uh, if you remember Avogadro's constant, which is roughly yeah. ten to the twenty-three, uh, say, carbon atoms, mm -hmm. uh, weighs twelve grams. 
So even a milligram or or, or less, yeah. you know, a thousandth of a gram of, of that many atoms would still be 10 to the power of 20 something atoms. Yeah. Which We're talking is like, like a billion, a grain billion, of, billion like times a, more. Like a sugar crystal, like smaller than the size of a sugar crystal or like a salt, yeah. a grain of salt. I think easily, I think. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, our, the BETs that we make in the lab are, um, in terms of size, are kind of a few, they actually, they can, they can be many sizes, but they're, they're sort of um, roughly 10 microns, okay, right. as like a really rough order of magnitude. Um, that's definitely smaller than is, is visible to the human eye. Right. Uh, the limit of human vision is probably 50 microns, maybe. Okay. Depending on what kind of shape you're, you know, looking yeah. for, is, is you know, are we talking like a gap between objects or an object by itself? I think the human vision probably is different, but you're always talking about 50 microns. Hmm. Um, so ignoring the fact that they're not visible in the spectrum of the human eye, which I suppose spectral does sort of get right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they're, they're just they're really really tiny. Yeah. Um, I suppose if you made an extremely large one, it might be. Yeah, 50 microns, 100 right. microns. But it's not going to be a human size <laughs> ghost. It's definitely not going to be the size of a human, no. Um, I, I don't think we're going to be 3D printing them. Yes, that was another interesting thing. Um, <laughs> it seems sort of fundamentally inconsistent in how they approached the, the nature of this. A, a big thing about these BEC ghosts was that they could move through things. Yeah. Um, and... But, but even this, they were a bit inconsistent about it. It could move through walls happily enough. When it moved through a person, it froze the inside of them, but also boiled their skin for no clear reason. Yeah. Freezer burn. Um, yes, I, su I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's I my that assumption what they were going yeah. for. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, it didn't seem to freeze the walls right? when it moved through that them or anything crazy. like that. That drove me crazy. I was like, yeah. if you're going to, if, if that's what it's doing, then every object it goes through should be getting frozen. Exactly, yes, yeah. Not not to, to to say nothing of why can it stand on a floor, right? Yeah. Why doesn't it move through the floor or, or the earth? I mean, there's no explanation of that. Um, <laughs> and yet, if, if they, and also if, if they move through things, then how do you 3D print them with a physical object? You know, how how, yeah. how is that supposed to work? Needless to say, we don't make BECs by 3, 3D printing them. <laughs> uh, that, that's not how making clouds of atoms works. Uh, we we we, ca we capture atoms in in kind of lasers. We use laser cooling, and then we use magnetic fields or possibly light, depending on how your apparatus works, um, to kind of move them around and and trap them. You can't trap them in a box because, again, they have to be in a vacuum. As soon as they touch the sides of your box, you would lose the state. Um, so yeah. none of that was was right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing because like. It's almost like they kind of, it, it's like what you're saying about trying trying to like give, not necessarily the benefit of the doubt, but like try to find something that they were maybe trying to do. And it's like, in yeah. my mind, I feel like somebody read somewhere that Bose-Einstein condensate is a fifth state of matter. And then they went, hey, yeah. if you have matter, you can 3D print it. But then <laughs> it's got all this other cloud it's a cloud of atoms so it can probably move through things but then also it's so cold so i guess if it went through a person it would probably kill them yeah let's write a story yes. about that yeah yeah 
<laughs> yeah, you definitely get a sense that it was it was you know three writers in a room spitballing ideas late at night. That, that's the that's the vibe it has. Can I um, can I tell you what the director said about it? Because I really oh, enjoyed yes, it. Yes. So one second. Um, this is the part. Now, for some disclaimers, we definitely took some license. We were trying to make an action movie with some basis in current scientific concepts, not a procedural or journalistic depiction of a specific branch of physics. We do recognise that so far, condensate is very hard to create, extremely unstable, and that 3D printing humans out of condensate isn't exactly right around the corner. We intentionally did not specify what year the movie takes place for this reason. Maybe it's 15 years from now, maybe it's 30. But we can imagine it's in a time when our ability to manipulate condensate and keep it stable has progressed dramatically. No. (laughs) (laughs) Nice try. No. (laughs) They didn't specify the year, but it's also clearly not the year 5000. So, uh, (laughs) if ever. I, 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 I No. Well, that, there, that there are is... much more basic physical constraints on this stuff. Because um... that, that's what I was wondering about. Because I remember when I when I was doing the research for this originally, and that's the sentence that I re- it's stuck in my brain ever since. Like it's not right around the corner, but maybe it will be in a like we've set this in a time when this is going to be possible. And I'm like, is it something that people are trying to do? Is this even an, a concept that's in any realm of anywhere that we would be 3D printing using? Bose-Einstein condensate. What would be the value of that? Yeah, not not in any way I can imagine. I cannot imagine three D printing, but Einstein condensate. It really doesn't make any sense. I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't even hold any shape that you put it into. Mm. It, it, you know, it 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 sits in whatever the kind of lowest energy shape for, for the trap is. Yeah. Um, and you can. <laughs> I mean, I could imagine a wildly complicated trap setup that made kind of a humanoid shape. Yeah. I mean, I kind of can't imagine that. That it, you know, You're it's pretty hard to make again. extremely arbitrary potentials. But you can kind of do it. Mm. Um, but well, even if you did, uh, uh, what what would you then do with that? I mean, yeah. would, the, the the atoms would just sit there, you know, being. But they can't move around, you know, they can't move independent limbs and, and run over buildings and, and jump well, into the air. That's the, sense. that's the thing then as well, like even in talking about the stability of it, like and, and it's like what can you just maybe give just a little explanation as to what what we actually do with Bose-Einstein mm. condensate that why why some comments like this just don't make sense? So there, there are a few applications of bosons and condensates, although applications might be the wrong word because it implies they're being used in kind of uh, commercial technology or something, which is not really true yeah. yet. Um, what we use them for is to study quantum physics kind of in a fundamental sense. You know, we, we, there are things we don't know about how, for example, thermodynamics works in a, in a quantum way yeah and if you want to test that experimentally you need some quantum objects right you need something that behaves in a quantum way and Bose-Einstein condensates are really good for this because it's you know like taking effects that normally occur on the scale of kind of a few atoms but because all the atoms in Bose-Einstein condensate share the same wave function it's kind of like magnifying that effect by the number of atoms you have which might be a million um so 
you you kind of make those quantum effects quite easily visible um or easily visible in a lab not to the eye but but you know it makes we can measure the quantum kind of behavior of those things yeah so that's useful for studying fundamental physics if you want to understand how things work about quantum mechanics um they're also starting to get used i think in some other contexts or, or other applications have been suggested i don't know how many of these have been experimentally done but using them to try and detect um gravitational waves for example um Yay. you know not not unlike <laughs> what you're working on yeah exactly um but whereas I think what you're working on is is not so much well, we're not, not condensates, like, yeah, we're not cooling streams to that of stage. cold atoms, but they're yeah. not condensates, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, there have been suggestions for using Bose-Einstein condensates to try and detect mm. gravitational waves. Um, I th I think they're not experimentally feasible yet, right? Um, because they, they require very large condensates that we can't make yet. But but they're really they're much closer to the realm of reality right. than spectral is. Yeah. <laughs> um, there are there are there is a commercial machine for making Bose-Einstein condensates, oh. kind of like a tabletop machine that, that is sort of a, a completely enclosed BEC maker um, sold by, it might be Cold Quanta, but I can't okay. quite remember. Um, I presume sold and, uh, to research groups for research, not, not well, for home? Possibly. I'm, I'm not sure, actually. It might be sold to kind of private research and right. development for, in industry, but I don't know what they would use it for. And there are some possibilities about using cold atoms for quantum computing. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's Bose-Einstein condensates or not, mm. uh, but it's cold neutral atoms um, as opposed to, for example, ion trapping, which is which is a common well-known technique of quantum computing right. at the moment. Some other avenues are about using just neutral cold atoms to do quantum computing. So that's some kind of applications um yeah. but even that's already straying into not so much condensates but coal atoms in general right um, the by far the biggest use of, of Bose-Einstein condensates is in just physics research um kind of understanding fundamental physics yeah at some point in the future that may turn into actual applications um but it's unlikely I don't think to that would be for, I don't think that would be for for ghostly warriors yeah. in moldova yeah. <laughs> frankly um we have better things to do yeah um, <laughs> so spectral is not upcoming in the next 30 years we don't think doubtful. yeah doubtful um <laughs> so i think that's pretty much the movie <laughs> the only thing left really is uh if you have final thoughts comments <laughs> I mean, as I say, there were there were little bits that I liked, mm. you know, about there was kind of an attempt to discuss science's role in kind of relation to the military. Um, and um, it wasn't that nuanced, you know, yeah. um, although many scientists, many scientists are very anti-military at the same time, countries do need defense right uh, right I, I think actually you do need some kind of defense and maybe that involves weapons um as uncomfortable as most people get about the idea of their research being used for weapons which is fair enough and mm. it's definitely true of me as well yeah um it didn't really examine that too much but it was kind of there on the sidelines mm. um but as you said, I think like if we have a scientist who actually works at DARPA, then you have understanding that your research is weapons research. Exactly. I think you That's should probably have expected that would be what it would be used yeah. for, yes. 
Um, I wonder if he's equally surprised about his armored vehicles being used to kill yeah. people. <laughs> um, um, and uh, other than that, yeah, that, that's, some of the action stuff was cool. There was a one shot I did like that, you know, the BC ghosts are hurt by iron. Again, for no scientifically valid reason, <laughs> but let's go with it. Okay. And uh, and he, he has a, a whole kind of belt yes. of dirty bombs made of these things. And he smashes it and the wind from the chopper yeah. behind him blows them into the ghost. I did think that was a great shot. It's a, I, I did that is that. a very good shot. That was a nice, good nice yeah. use of, you know, environment to, uh, yeah. for environmental tactics. Excellent cinematography nice. in that shot. Yeah, yeah, very nice. <laughs> so it had its moments. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun, that's the thing, like, it's a fun movie. And if you like action movies, it's a fun action movie. It's just, yeah. if you're, yeah. if you're a physicist and you watch it and there's a moment where a guy goes, I know what it is. It's Bose-Einstein condensate. That's just a little bit of a moment in your brain that just <laughs> yes. says, what just happened? Because yes. if you're like, <laughs> if you're yeah. remembering like statistical mechanics from your undergrad and you're like. I don't remember us talking <laughs> about them being like this. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I would have paid attention in that yeah. that lecture. Yeah. Um, so, I I wish that for for you know for the setup of a kind of sci-fi mystery, hmm. I think that payoff, the result of that mystery, has to kind of make sense. Yeah. And be consistent, and in order exactly. to be satisfying, right? And hmm. if it's not, it's not satisfying. Um, yeah. But I oh, will. Sometimes. Yeah you don't need to explain it. And if you're going to set it yeah. futuristic and sci-fi, you don't need to give it a name. You can make it something that doesn't exist. It's true. It's cool. Yes. But if you're going to make it something that exists, then you invite these discussions. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, is there anything that you think that is, the, do you have any kind of thoughts or feelings on, on just science and Hollywood in general? Like what, what needs, what they can do, what they should do, what you wish they had done? Um, I mean, it's generally not, great it's not super representative but to be fair i think that's probably true of most people's jobs right i think most people who yeah. see their jobs represented in films probably have have issues with it <laughs> uh, and as i say i don't think it needs to be perfect yeah um i think there's a certain responsibility that you i think you shouldn't try to get too far away because people do naturally start to learn things or make assumptions about certain professions or fields based on what they see and i i think you should you ought to be aware of that really yeah. as a filmmaker um mostly I, though you know i i like seeing science in films you know yeah i, I don't mind that it's always the color blue for some reason <laughs> it's always uh, blue. always um <laughs> but i yeah i don't mind even something like what did i see recently tenet has um, i still haven't kind of, again, watched it yet well, it's, it's kind of, again, a slightly sort of sci-fi action film blend, but it doesn't really try to make it sci-fi a mystery uh, because it doesn't make any physical sense, really. Um, <laughs> but it is very internally consistent, at least. Right. And that means that you can learn to understand the rules of its particular sci-fi, and therefore you get kind of more out of the action scenes because you've you've learned the kind of consistency of it, yeah. even if it's not physically realistic. Um and that that's quite fun, I think. Yeah, that's so it, a great it can way be to done. put it. Yeah, kind of learn the learn the consistencies of what what the movie is portraying. But sometimes, yeah, yeah. if they're going to, you know, I think yeah. you can accept some scientific unrealism. Oh yeah, as... I mean, 
you can follow it and it's interesting you know? yeah it's like like um, we say it's it's fiction and it's not about tearing yeah. apart fiction because fiction you know that's what it's there for and we want to enjoy yeah, exactly, it as yeah. is but yeah sometimes there is also a responsibility if you're going to portray something that is a an is a realistic science concept yeah. or idea then you're inviting it to yourself to portray it in the correct way and if you don't I think so. then yeah hello <laughs> <laughs> yes. get nerdy physicists talking about it <laughs> okay well i oh, think sure that's i think that's us yeah great well this yeah. was fun yeah thanks, thanks so much for doing this yeah. i love it um i'm so happy that you finally watched the movie that i made you watch it <laughs> i made you talk about it <laughs> so and I, and I hardly resent you at all for okay it. great i feel like there's gonna be some payback at some point <laughs> um okay well Thank you so much for listening. Oh, we are still on a break for one more week and then we will be back with our next cycle and starting off with Enemy of the State as our first movie. And we also have a brand new mini series coming up, which is all about Philip K. Dick. So please do join us. And thank you very much. Bye bye.